This morning we are continuing the Believe series that we began last fall. When we began the series, we first reviewed what we believe and why. We spent ten weeks teaching the ten key beliefs of the Christian faith. And then we moved on to the main actions or behaviors of those who follow Jesus and talked about ten key spiritual practices of Christians. Now this morning we are turning to the last ten lessons in this series, and these are the ten key virtues of the Christian faith. We've learned as Christians what we're supposed to think, and we've learned how we're supposed to act. And finally, we're going to get to how do we become the people that God wants us to become? How, how can we get there? How can we live with such a love that was demonstrated in the video just a few minutes ago? Our goal through all of this is to become like Jesus. Very high and lofty goal, isn't it? But a goal that is attainable, not through our own efforts, not through our own strength or wisdom, but because he is in us as followers of Christ and his spirit makes it possible. Jesus is the perfect example of how God wants his children to live. And so it is the example that we follow. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul wrote about the fruit of the Spirit. And these ten lessons are largely based on the fruit of the Spirit that we read about here. Sometimes they're called the fruits of the Spirit, but I don't think they're the only fruits. I think it's just an indication, examples of the fruit of the Spirit that he can bear in our lives. And this is what he said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The nine characteristics he mentioned in Galatians 5 show the kinds of things that the Spirit of God naturally produces within us when we allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in our lives. If and when we are under His influence and control, these these fruits of the Spirit start being displayed and they grow in their strength, their intensity, and the impact and effectiveness that they can have. When we give way to Him, when we allow Him to work, these are the character qualities that He fosters within us. But when we're kind of shutting down the Spirit or we're not listening to the Spirit or we're, we're not receptive to His work in our lives, then these things do not grow. And we may in a few years think, why don't I love people better than I do? Why am I not more kind than I think I should be by now? Why am I so impatient with people? And the reason is the Holy Spirit has been shut down or, or not allowed to, to affect our lives the way that he would want to. Well, the first of these fruits is the, the, the thing we've talked about since the beginning of love. Very big topic. Not any way that anybody could preach all about love in the next 20, 25 minutes. But I'm going to try and hit a few things, and then you will continue just to move on uh, in your own study of that from there. And the other eight fruit of the Spirit that uh, Paul talks about will be the rest of the outline for these next eight weeks in the Belief series. Now, our main passage of Scripture this morning is from 1 John 4, 10 through 12. It was part of the verses that Dan read during the communion meditation this morning. And this is what John says here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is love... Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete through us. As Christians, then we are committed to loving God and then loving people. Other people, actually all other people. Not that I just love a few others, the ones that I choose to love, but I'm supposed to love everybody as God loves everybody. We can do this only because God first loved us. And true love began when he reached down to us, not that we reached up to him. We didn't have that ability. We didn't have that opportunity. But God chose to love us. God chose to reach down to us in our brokenness, in our sin. He made the first move. And now it's our turn to love as well. The people of this world really desire love, don't they? You hear about love all the time. You just turn on the radio and the songs about love are on there. And many different songs are out there. People are enamored with love. People crave love. For many, love is kind of this elusive pleasure, this elusive quality that they can never get enough of. Song titles about love abound. For instance, love is a many-splendored thing. Love makes the world go round. Love is in the air. What the world needs now is love, love, love. Love will keep us together, and love is all you need. Uh, just many, many different titles. As we read the Bible, we discover that love also permeates God's story. Love is a big deal to God. And throughout the Bible, as we read from beginning to the end, we see that love permeates God's story from start to finish. The Bible is the story of God reaching out to man in love. From Adam to Abraham to Moses to David, God is reaching out to man in love. And ultimately, God's story culminates in this division between Old Testament and New Testament. And who is in that division? It's Jesus Christ. Who's in the middle? What makes the change from old to new is Jesus coming to earth. God's very Son came into the world to give full expression of God's love. So love is at the heart of what God is doing here on planet Earth. Love is so important to the heart of God that Jesus gave his very life in order to express that love to us, to show us how far God's love is willing to go to bring us back home. Love is the greatest thing we could ever do. Love is the greatest thing that we could ever be part of. And this is definitely the first one on the list because it's the most important. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you know, there are a lot of gifts, a lot of things that you could want, but the greatest of these is love, right? One day during his time on earth, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He answered with a similar answer. He said, in answering this, there are actually two things, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. All of the, the law hinges on these two commandments. Let's actually go to Mark chapter 12 and let's read about this event when Jesus is asked this question. Mark 12, starting with verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard him, heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these, Jesus said. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. 
to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Jesus was saying, if we will get these two commandments right, if we will get these two commandments right in loving God and in loving our neighbors ourselves, then we will please God. We will be able to live the life God wants us to live. But we've got to get these two right or we're missing the whole thing. These two commandments, loving God and loving other people, are the basis for the whole law of Moses. Everything that had gone before that, Jesus is saying it's summed up right here in these two things. Love God, love other people as you love yourself. God first loved us. And we didn't begin by loving God. He began. He started it all by loving us. He initiated the contact. When we least deserved it, God showed his love for us in the most extreme way possible. Jesus died on our behalf. If you never really wrestled that through, it's not that Jesus died for the whole world, which he did. You need to make this personal. And you need to realize that when Jesus went to the cross, he went there for you and he went there for me. He went there because each of us matters so much that if it had just been us, he still would have gone to the cross and paid for our sins. God showed his love for us by sending Jesus to pay for our sins. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we love God in return, our desire will be for him. Our desire will be to live for him and to love as he loves. So we need to ask the question this morning, how does God love? What does his love look like? And that will tell us what our love for others should look like. So what I want to speak of in the next few minutes is characteristics of God's love that just stand out, just amaze us that God could love us this way. The first characteristic is this, that God's love is unconditional. God is love, the Bible says. He, he can't separate himself from love because that is his very nature. That is who God is. God is love. And his love is unconditional. He just pours out that love. There are no conditions, no strings attached to God's love. He just loves us because he chooses to. And we are the objects of his perfect love. No matter what we do, we can't make God love us anymore. No matter what we do, we can't make God love us any less. And that's an amazing thing right there because people don't treat us that way. People put conditions on the love that they have for us. But God doesn't love us because we come to church or because we give our money to the church or because we help people in need and we do some good deeds every once in a while. None of that matters as far as his love for us. His love is still there. It is unconditional. And while he hates sin, he hates sinful behavior, he always loves the people guilty of that behavior. And we can't claim that sometimes. We don't measure up to that sometimes. There are, there are so many conditions in our love today. Many marriages, many friendships, many other relationships today are conditional relationships, aren't they? But God's kind of love places no conditions, no expectations, no stipulations on the other person in order for us to love them. Rick Brown noted, that he says, the message we're sent from birth is different than that, that love is conditional. 
We find it through a variety of ways. Performance, for instance, will get you noticed on the job. You don't perform, you don't get paid, or you don't, you don't advance. Personality will get you accepted by the group of friends. You know, if you have the right personality, you're welcomed in, you're part of it, and you're elevated in their, their esteem for you. Or appearance will get you chosen over other people. And so what do we do? If that's the way it works, then we work to achieve that. We work to merit that. We work long hours. We, we go into a room and we're kind of working the room to get people to like us because love is conditional. We work out physically so we will look better, look stronger, or be more beautiful or handsome. We work in hopes of finding love with someone else, thinking that if we can just impress them, then they'll love us. Because that is what we've learned. And human love, even at its best, is conditional. But God's love is a love that is chosen. It comes without condition, without strengths. It is unconditional, and thank God for that. A second quality of God's love, God's love is sacrificial. The Apostle Paul describes Jesus' sacrificial love with these words in Philippians 2, verses 6-8. through who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus sacrificed the throne room of heaven for a manger in Bethlehem. And Jesus sacrificed the divine power he had with the Father from the beginning, before even creation happened, for a blue-collar job. And ultimately, Jesus sacrificed his life for people like you and me. It's not a fair exchange, is it? But that's the kind of love that he has chosen to give. God's kind of love places the other person first. Sacrificial love takes the risk of loving someone regardless of their response. They may not respond the way you want them to. They may not obey you. They may not listen to you. They may not choose to be in love with you as you're in love with them. But there is this sacrifice, this risk that is happening. And, and when we learn to love to this degree, we're saying in effect to this person, I'm not worried about me. I'm not worried about my needs. I'm concerned about you. I will lay down my life for you if I need to. I will give up my rights because you are more important to me than I am to me. That's the kind of love that God gives. God's love is sacrificial. And so he loved and he gave himself to those he loved. We learn to love at this deep level only because God's Spirit gives us the humility and the grace to be able to do that. And the only way to get this kind of love into you is by God, by God's activity by the Spirit of God working in your life. So let's, let's go one more quality. God's love is forgiving. Forgiving. Uh, that's a hard thing to do. We saw a video. We saw a woman whose son had been taken from her by someone else that wasn't thinking what they were doing. They were not, not really aware of the damage that they were about to cause. And yet, she was able in time to forgive. Jesus made the sacrifice that he did in order to forgive us. Through his death, God redeemed us. God restored us to his family. Jesus paid the price in full for your sins and mine. He paid the price of the sins of all people 
so that we can be forgiven if we put our confidence and trust in Jesus to forgive us. And even now, God promises to forgive us when we mess up. You know, I don't know about you, but I still mess up. You? <laughs> do you ever sin still? I'll go ahead and admit it, because I know you do. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't there when it happened, but I know who you are. I know who I am. I know who people are. I know how we live. None of us, none of us is perfect. None of us, you know, you come to Christ and you're forgiven, and then, hey, you're okay from then on? No, you're not. You still have a struggle. You still have things going on in your life. You're still making mistakes. And God promises that even then the forgiveness keeps coming. The forgiveness of God in Christ keeps coming. In 1 John 1, 8 and 9 it says, If we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's love is forgiving. And here's, here's an amazing thing. In the same way, we're to forgive others. Call order. It's not right for us to hold someone else's sins over their heads after God has forgiven us. And uh, Peter comes to him. We read this this week. You know, Peter comes to the Lord and he says, How often am I supposed to forgive my brother? You know, I've got a pretty bad brother, Lord. I've got Andrew, you know, and he messes up. How often am I supposed to do this? And Jesus says, A lot more than you're thinking. And he tells some parable about two debtors who each owed a sum of money to someone else, to their master, to their king in this story. We read this parable in, in uh, Matthew 18. The first man owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. I, I can't even imagine such a sum, but more money than probably we've ever seen in one spot. And when the king saw that this man had no way to repay that debt, he forgave the man's debt and said, go free. Uh, you're free of this debt. You don't owe to it anymore. And the man soon ran out and he found another man who owed him a very small amount of money, just a few silver coins, really. Just a, a drop in the bucket by comparison. And when he found out this man couldn't pay him back this small amount, he threw him in debtor's prison and said, you're going to stay there until you pay me back. And when the king, the master, found out, of course, he's angry. And he ordered that the first man be brought back to prison and tortured in prison until he could repay the 10,000 bags of gold, which he possibly never could. What a story of what God has done for us in Christ. That that debt of sin that each of us owes to God has been paid. And we've been set free. And for us to turn around then and to keep heaping the debts back on other people and forcing them to pay what little bit they owe us, what little offense they gave us, what little wrongs that they've done against us, or maybe just holding them accountable in some condemning way for the sins of their lives is ridiculous, isn't it? And Jesus draws it all to conclusion. He summarizes with these words, this is how my Heavenly Father is going to treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And God's love says to us, you don't have to be perfect for me to love you. I've chosen to love you regardless of your imperfections. In fact, I know that you're going to make mistakes. And so I'm going to forgive you ahead of time for those. And I'm going to pay for those ahead of time so that when the time comes, you can confess them, you can be forgiven and, and, and move on from there. And this is what God does for us every day and it expects us then 
to do for the people around us. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Our mission is to love God and to love others. We are all to love all other people, even those who are far away from God with the same kind of love that God has given to us. Unconditional love, sacrificial love, forgiving love. Very, very deep love. A love that you don't find anywhere else in this world. Now you may have noticed today, those two or three of you who actually look at the bulletin, that there's something different on the back. Anybody notice that? I'd like to give you five bucks. I think Buddy Almond will pay that. Buddy, right? They read the bulletin. Buddy's even done this before. Put a little note in there. If you see this, come and turn it into the office. There's five bucks waiting for you. Nobody ever turns them in when that happens. <laughs> Buddy, you ready to pay some five bucks out to anybody? Yeah, he is. Okay. He didn't he did not his head, but I just answered for him. Okay. But on the back of it, it talks about New Hope's mission. What has been there for a long, long time has been New Hope's purpose. And it's been different than that. Of grow, show, and go. I want you to know that after a lot of prayer and a lot of uh, seeking the Lord and thinking and talking and everything, we've decided to, to change the way that's said. It's really the same mission, but it's said in a different way. And what we've chosen to do is to use the very words of Jesus, not our own words. And, you know, I, I can be part of this because I think I'm the one that came up with the Grow Show Go to begin with, words that rhymed, kind of catchy. You know, and we thought that'd be more memorable that way. And in the Grow Show Go was a, a definition, a, an ex, a explanation of our purpose, of our mission, what God has called us to do. The mission is not changed, but the way that we're stating it is changing as a result of prayer and study among the leadership, especially among the elders and, and Christian and I. And this is a new and simplified way of stating our mission. And this is now the mission statement that we're using so that we can decide, are we effective? Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we getting off base because what we're doing now doesn't have anything to do with this? Or are we in the center of this mission with what we're doing? And then we have, we have to weigh those decisions. We have to decide, is this the right thing for the church to be doing? And that's the function of leadership. Since January, we've been praying and thinking about our church and how we need to be more in tune with God's Spirit, and we told you that, and how we want to be more people of prayer, and how we want to be more effective in reaching out to other people through God's love. And we believe that this mission statement is a better way to say what our mission is than the Grow, Show, Go that we've been using for some time now. Because it's the very words of Jesus. Jesus said, top of the list, love God. Love people. And then as he left earth, he said to his disciples, you need to go out into all the world and you need to make disciples of every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, observe whatever I have commanded you. These are the words of Jesus. Love God, love people, make disciples of Jesus. And as we were discussing this new mission statement, one of the deacons was you know, just saying, well, you know, people are going to wonder about this. Why are we making such a change here? Why are we changing our mission now? We've had the same mission for 40 years. Now are we changing? We're not changing the mission, really. We're just saying in a different way. And in a way that we think reflects more accurately, more simply, 
what Jesus said in the very beginning. This new mission statement is coupled with the discipleship process that we'll unveil over the next period of time. We're already implementing that. It's a lot of the things we've been doing for discipling people, but it's more uh, involved, more uh, organized. It's, it's more structured so that we know whether it's happening or not. And we'll tell you all more about that. But the first step of it is simply for us to grasp what our mission is as a church. So what is our mission as followers of Jesus Christ or as the church itself? To love God, to love people, and to make disciples of Jesus. Very simple. And the first part of that is the love equation. A very big part of it. This is where we start. And this is where we as a church learn to love one another as God has first loved us. Chris Carrier of Coral Gables, Florida, was 10 years old when a man became angry with Chris's father. And on the last day of school, he abducted Chris before he could arrive home safely. The kidnapper took him somewhere in his van and tortured him. He burned him with cigarettes. He stabbed him multiple times with an ice pick. He shot him in the back of the head and then dumped him in the Everglades to die. Miraculously, Chris, 10 years old, survived and was found six days later. His only lasting physical effect from the ordeal was losing sight in one eye. And his attacker was never captured. Carrier became a Christian and later served as a youth pastor at a church in Florida. One day he received word that a man named David McAllister, a 77-year-old frail and blind ex-con living in a Miami Beach nursing home, had confessed to committing the crime many years before. So Carrier got in his car and drove to Miami. Did he take a gun? <laughs> no. Did he plot revenge along the way? No. He could have. The tables were turned. The old man was helpless, just as Chris had been when McAllister tortured and shot him, leaving him for dead. But no, uh, revenge wasn't Chris's motive. It was love. Carrie was going where God wanted him to go, with God's love, toward forgiveness. And amazingly, he was able to have time with McAllister, who was dying. He began visiting McAllister regularly and often read the Bible and prayed with him. And through these visits... He eventually led McAllister to faith in the Lord Jesus. He said, well, many people just can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister. From my point of view, I couldn't not forgive him. <laughs> That's a double negative, but it's okay. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years or spent my life looking for revenge, then I would not have become the man of God I am today. The man that my wife and children love the man God has helped me to be. You see, each day as Jesus lives out his life in us, he wants us to love other people unconditionally and sacrificially as he does. He offers us ongoing forgiveness and he wants us to do the same. He asks us to have this kind of love in all of our relationships because this new breed of love allows us to be free to express God's love to the world. And that's how he's chosen to do it. He doesn't do it himself. He does it through us. He does it through our acts of kindness. He does it through our sacrifices. He does it when we are the one that is abused or offended or hurt or vilified. We respond with his love. 
The Apostle John summed it up very well in 1 John 4, 10 through 12. Would you say it with me? It's right on the screen. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also want to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete through us. You see, God's love, even God Himself, is seen when this love is exhibited through his children, when we are able to love others with the love that he first loved us. God has an amazing love, an unconditional love, sacrificial love, a forgiving love for everyone. No one excluded. And he wants us to have that same love for the world. Through special events, through outreach events like we're having in two weeks called our Community Health Fair, and also through our daily lives. God wants that love expressed through this church and every church. That is our mission, is it not? To love God, to love people, and to make disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, bless us today. Help us to know what you want us to do moment by moment. Give us insights as you give so many others whose hearts are tuned to you, even to know of a conversation to have or a particular person to reach out to. Maybe it's the, the hard work that goes on in our, our private devotions when we realize that we're still sinning, we're still carrying something around we need to let go of. Maybe it's a grudge. Maybe it's uh, a resentment. Maybe it's... Uh, really righteous anger, we think, because of how we've been wronged or somebody falsely accusing us. Whatever it may be, Lord, we bring it before you. And we ask that we do that tough work of acknowledging it, confessing it, and then being forgiven and cleansed. Help us, Lord, to show the kind of love to others that you first showed to us. It, it's not anything we could do on our own. It only comes through your power your spirit. Bless us today uh, as we look around, people around us, people here in the church, people in our neighborhoods, people at school or work, uh, people that, that we may seek out in the community as a result of that love that says, don't just wait for them to come to you. You have the job to go make disciples. Uh, so go and express that love through us, Lord. Help us to, to be faithful to you in growing and allowing your spirit to bear his fruit in our lives. Bless us now as we continue worshiping you. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.